thought they were going to do. I got lulled to sleep. I'll put them on book bay. morning. I want to welcome you to Memorial. My name is Joe Kate. I'm the pastor here. So grateful that you've joined us in worship today. I want to have a little bit longer verbal announcement in order to not have long verbal announcements ever again. We're in, we're trying to do two really important things. Trying to not say big long announcements to start our worship services because I know that gets drawn out. And we're trying not to email you five times a week with really long emails. We're doing two things in order to do that. One is the newsletter. The newsletter is your source for the majority of information that's coming in the month. You wanna make sure that you pick one of these up on the first Sunday of any month, or also the Sundays following, they'll be out there until we give every one of them away. There's also a digital version of this in every email that you can click on. And that's the other thing we're using to give you the most information possible. If you click on our church email that should now come to you on Thursday mornings, Thursday afternoons, there are about eight what's called hyperlinks at the top of every email. And they say church financials, meeting schedule for the year, um, podcast, um, like, oh, prayer concerns and uh, Submit a concern. You can click on any one of those nine on any email you get and get the majority of information that you need so I don't have to say it to you now or put it in the bulletin and make it 14 pages long. Now you've been trained over time for the bulletin to be your source. 
And as the bulletin has gotten thinner and thinner, you think we're saying less and less. We're not. We're just trying to make the bulletin as simple as possible, like a brochure for this particular Sunday. The newsletter, a complete source for information that's coming for the month. And the email, a weekly reminder of things that are going on. Now, one of the major things we've added is a prayer concern list that I think is far more comprehensive of prayer throughout your week than the one that we had in the bulletin. It's in the email. You can click on it. But we also print copies of it every week, and you'll have the date for the week. It's in the back of the sanctuary. It's going to be on your table in Sunday school every week. And it's far more than you are accustomed to. I think you will love it once you become adjusted to it. You will not find it here, as you will not find many of the things here, because they're where? Here. And they're in the email. Now you say, I don't get email. I don't want to get email. I don't even know what email is. I don't want anything to do with it. The majority of the things that we put in that email that you may not get are on our bulletin boards here and here, and it will be in your Sunday school class as well, and in the printed newsletter. So we are sharing more with you than we've ever shared, but it's in different places than you're accustomed to getting it. So as long as we get you accustomed to getting it there, you'll find everything you could possibly need without us saying what I just did, seven minutes of verbal announcements. Uh, so please make sure that you do that. Make sure that you um, uh, notice so that we can um, uh, get every bit of information to you. The thing I'll have you notice, we'll have a video in this week's email with uh, Vacation Bible School, all the fun stuff that they're going to do, and um, ways that you can help. And with that being said, um, I'd have you stand as you're able for our first hymn, number 626.
The affirmation of faith is the way we affirm our faith in this worship service. You're welcome to join us. You're welcome to listen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence you shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. Our first scripture lesson this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, page 1700 in your pew Bible. About that time, while the number of disciples continued to increase, a complaint arose. Greek-speaking disciples accused the Aramaic-speaking disciples because their widows were being overlooked in the daily food service. The twelve called a meeting and all the disciples and said, it isn't right for us to set aside proclamation of God's word in order to serve tables. Brothers and sisters, carefully choose seven well-respected men from among you they must be well-respected and endowed by the Spirit with exceptional wisdom. We will put them in charge of this concern. As for us, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the service of proclaiming the word. This proposal pleased the entire community. They selected Stephen, a man endowed by the Holy Spirit with exceptional faith, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicolaus from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. The community presented these seven to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. God's word continued to grow, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased significantly. Even a large group of priests embraced the faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm going to call up Katie Kate. She's our director of youth ministries, and she's going to celebrate our high school and college graduates. Good morning. Today is a very special day as we take time to honor the 2018 graduates of Memorial. We would first like to recognize our college graduates. We have Garner Brooks graduating from North Greenville University. He is pursuing seminary at Wake Forest. We have Graham Brooks, if you please stand, graduating from North Greenville University, pursuing his MBA. Thank you, Graham. Now I'd like to recognize the high school graduates. Um, as I call their names, I ask each graduate to come forward and be recognized. Austin Moore, he was at the nine o'clock service. He's graduating from Burns High School and is attending Presbyterian College. Carson Radline, graduating from Greer High School tomorrow. He is attending Clemson University. Cody Sullivan, 
is graduating from Riverside High School on Tuesday. He will be working at Cobb Tire full-time as a mechanic. We gave Carson the Bible <laughs> Let us pray for these graduates. Dear God, please surround these graduates with your grace. Bless them with hope so that they move into the future with eager and open hearts. Help them to put the knowledge, skills, and insights gained through their education to use for the good of all humankind. Inspire them to believe in the goodness of life even when faced with challenges and difficulties. Help them stay true to their dreams, to use their gifts wisely, and to walk into the future with faith, hope, and great love. Amen. Carson and Cody, your church family prays you will always recognize God's presence in your life. We look forward to seeing all the exciting things you do in the future. Congratulations, graduates. Let us pray together. Gracious God, today we read about power and the way that humans try to grab it and use it for their purposes. We also read about people who are willing to sacrifice power who are willing to be weak, who are willing to be humble, who are willing to share your message regardless of the circumstances. Frankly, we probably find ourselves on each side each week, depending on how we're feeling, how much rest we have, how work is going, how our relationships are going, how we feel about you, our health. Heavenly Father, as we read this text today and we realize both sides of that power, make us aware of the times we grasp for it and aware of the times that we can share it. Give us one of your perfect examples, Lord, and inspire us this morning as we pray the prayer your Son taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's now time for our offering. And you can give as the plate goes by. You can certainly hand it to the next person. You can give electronically with instructions in the bulletin. And if you're a guest new to our church family today, we certainly don't expect you to give. You can, uh, but you can rely on the generosity of our people as well.
Please be seated. <clears throat> the scripture that I will read is a continuation of the first reading. And before I go forward, I want to use our opening image. Power. We seek it in relationships. We seek it in workplaces. We seek it in our homes and in our churches in very tiny ways, like making sure you know where the remote is, in very large ways, like determining the way forward for a major initiative in the church. Now, why do we do that? Why do we seek power in very small and very large and everywhere in between ways from everyone surrounding us? There's a number of reasons. But one of the main reasons experts say that humans seek power is to avoid being asked to do something that wasn't our idea. Does that sound right? Like when someone says, someone should take out the trash. Someone should empty the dishwasher. Someone should remove the weeds that are in the garden out front. Someone should start changing this major process that we have in the workplace or in the church. Well, the only one truly comfortable with those changes or those initiatives is the one who said it. 
everyone else is involved in how it's going to be implemented, how it's going to happen, whatever it may be. And so if we have power, we don't have to do many things that aren't our idea. And sometimes people do it overtly, right out in front of everyone. They say whatever it is they need to say. Some people do it uh, kind of quietly to people off to the side, just before a gathering or just after a gathering. Some people write it in an email. Some people write it in a text. Whatever it is, we seek power to avoid doing something that wasn't our idea. The other reason we seek power is because we want to control resources. And we do this as individuals. We do this uh, as uh, cities, as states, as nations, as collaborations among nations. We want to control the resources. And that's why there's a serious shortage of food in this community for only a certain number of people. There's not a shortage of food for the group. There's a shortage of food for widows. Now, why widows in particular? Because in this time and in this place, men were held in more significant regard in social, professional, and religious situations. And women who were tied to men had a little more influence, and women that were not did not have influence. Fortunately, that has shifted dramatically, although not as much as it should, but it shifted dramatically to today. But in that day... If you were a widow, if you did not have a man representing you, then you might not get the best of the resources. And so, while there's plenty of food, widows are not getting it. And that's your next um, uh, fill in the blank. The power of food. Now, what, how is food powerful in our lives? Well, as United Methodists, in our bylaws, when we gather, we are to have food. Right, Whatever that food may be, whether it be snacks, whether it be a meal, whether it be a significant meal, I would guess the roots of that go back to the significance of sitting around that table and gathering and sharing something that you've brought. And I sit around the table with all sorts of different people. CEP kids with goldfish are um, seniors for a Wednesday lunch and during uh, 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 during the day, obviously during the day, on Wednesdays, with our entire church family on Wednesday nights, nine times a year. And there's never a time when I sit around the table with any one of those people that I don't learn something from them and they learn something from me. Food also has the power to comfort. But when that power is wielded against someone, it puts them in a very vulnerable position, and that's where they are in this moment. Imagine a faith community built not long after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, trying to live out what he lived out when he went to so many people, when they fed 5,000 plus on the hill, that group denying widows food. It doesn't take long to get away from your original point, does it? To get away from your original philosophy, your original drive, and that's exactly what's happened. But these leaders, through planning, through care, through generosity, they break that cycle by putting Stephen in charge and gathering those other six people to say, we're not going to do this again. Now, if you looked at my job description, how much of it would have to do with whether we have enough food? Very little. It would not be high on the list. I'm in charge of worship. I'm in charge of ordering our church. I'm in charge of um, hiring and directing our staff. But on Wednesday night, if there's 25 people left and there's not much food, how much of it is part of my job description in that moment? A significant part. Now, there's been times when we've been tight on reservations or how much the caterer had. But this is different this day. This is people deciding. This is the first 50 people on a Wednesday dinner deciding we're the ones eating tonight and no one else is. What kind of power does that have to rip apart the community? But the leaders in that community say it's not going to happen. We're going to use the power of food to connect us. And now we have verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. 
Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue and of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place, against the law. And for that, we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And here's your next phrase. The power of drama. It takes a great deal of work to generate anger and drama among a group to manipulate the message in order to gather people around that manipulation and to stay off the radar enough that they don't place it in your hands that you were the one that came up with the drama, that you were the one that came up with the conflict. Now, what kind of power does drama and conflict have to tear apart a community? Infinitely more than food does. When someone thinks that someone's upset or a group is upset and a group comes to the leadership and says, these people are upset. It has real power if you don't have a healthy environment. And Stephen has already distinguished himself, already a faithful leader, and he with those other six men solved the food crisis. He's also interesting and faithful to God's message, yet these men do not like it. They don't like it. So they do everything in their power to stir up drama in the group to make sure that everything comes to a halt. When have you witnessed this? When have you dreaded gathering around a family table for fear that someone will generate a bunch of drama around that table? When have you been in a small group gathering in a church when one person was deeply upset and it made everyone on edge? When have you seen churches really almost torn apart, if not torn apart, based on the severe drama that was going on in the congregation and people not wanting to put up with it? This is the hope of these men. To generate enough that they can stop it. Now, in 2007... I served a new church restart, and I had a lay, and the lay leader, ours is Ralph Johnson there, called to be at everything, available to be at everything to represent you. The lay leader loved me on my first day, thought that I was the thing that was going to change the congregation. Now, we're in an elementary school cafeteria. But one day, I said, you know, our service is the equivalent of a very fine dining meal with multiple forks and spoons and different salads and drinks. And obviously, I can't describe that really well. But we're in a space where we would best offer a worship service that's more like a picnic, like a potluck with paper plates and um, plastic forks and drinks. That would more suit our space if we were a restaurant. I asked the people what they would be willing to do in this one service that we had to make it close to what I thought it should be. Now, I don't know if I was right. I have no idea, because you never know. But in that moment, the lady leader decided to go around to each and every person, ask them if they thought what we were doing was really stupid, and then come up to me two minutes before the service and tell me, everyone thinks what we're doing is really stupid. Now, what does everyone mean? <laughs> what does that do? I've talked to everyone, and everyone thinks this is stupid. Imagine hearing that just before the service. Now, again, I don't know if I was right, but I know that that moment with that leader, with that churning congregation trying to figure out who they were, it made it very, very difficult, and that is the dream of these guys. 
Let's stop it by any means possible. Can you imagine humans doing that? You ever think that I'm going to stop whatever this is by any means possible? Now, we're skipping a large chunk. We're skipping 53 verses, and I can tell it to you very quickly. In that moment, Stephen told them the sacrificial life of Jesus. How he went, where he went, who he talked to, who he blessed, who he included. That he was tried, convicted, crucified, and rose again. And before this court, after saying that, this is what happens in verse 54 of chapter 7. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now let's talk about the last power. Your last phrase, the power of sacrifice. Now why does it register so well with us? Why does it um, raise hair up on our arm when we see someone doing something truly amazing for someone else? When there's a video on YouTube of two brothers who are handed uh, cupcakes and the younger one drops it immediately and it registers on his face and then he cries uncontrollably. And then the older brother says, here, I'll give you a piece of my cupcake. Maybe not the big piece, but I'll give you a piece of my cupcake. You see that, you see a brother reaching out and saying, here's a piece of my cupcake. Doesn't that? Last week, um, I took the week off. I went to the Southern Conference Baseball Tournament. I watched 121 innings in one week. It's my all-time record. You know how many foul balls you see in 121 innings? A lot. And every once in a while, you see an adult catch a foul ball, a kid whose glove seems bigger than their head, run over to that same space, and the adult gives the foul ball to the kid, and they run off losing their mind back to their parents. Now, why does that warm our hearts so much? Why does that have such power over us? Because we see someone giving up something that they probably would love because someone else could love it more. That's the power of sacrifice. And it's the power that Stephen is displaying in the image of Jesus Christ. He displayed that before he was chosen, he thrived in a position that was given to him he proclaimed the word of Jesus and he sacrificed judgment to everyone involved. Now that's significant. You've heard eye for an eye. Eye for an eye was put into place because when someone was injured in Old Testament law, before eye for an eye, it could escalate. You hurt my finger, I'm going to hurt your hand. You hurt my hand, I'm going to hurt your arm. You hurt my arm, I'm going to hurt your leg. Till one of us is dead. Eye for an eye was put into place to say, look, all you can do is what happened to you. To curtail that. Jesus, when he was speaking to people, said, you've heard eye for an eye. And they had. They'd heard it their entire lives. He said, I want you to elevate yourselves above what would be just and don't take it. Instead, I want you to sacrifice yourself. Stephen set himself apart throughout this entire story by sacrificing. You know what really captures the human spirit? Am I going to get into heaven? And can I dictate who else is? That really captures people. Even the disciples amongst Jesus said, Who gets to sit beside you and who gets to be included? We're wrapped up in it. Stephen does not obsess with where he's going to be. He does not clamor for his life, 
Nor does he say, and I really hope you judge these people from this day forward. Now what judgment do y'all have in your heart? Who might you want to judge given the full opportunity? Anyone from the road going down from three lanes to one and somebody roars past you and then cuts in front of you? All the way to someone who has caused great harm. He says, I don't want judgment. One of very few people in the Bible, he echoes what Jesus says, do not hold this against them. And so what I want to avoid is us hearing the word Stephen and going, oh, that's the guy that was stoned. Wrapping him up. That being his entire life. What was the guy, what did Stephen do? Oh, he's an ax, he was stoned. Mm -mm. No, the vicious thing that those men did that day, who were unnamed, by the way, is undone by the named person who sacrificed it all in the name of his Savior. What can we do? as we hear the words that we will read in the communion liturgy to recognize our ability to sacrifice things that we figure we are due in order to instead live in the light of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you'll turn in your hymnal to our communion liturgy and join me on page 12. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Corporate and individual confession as a part of our worship service is so critical. It undoes the notion in which we say to ourselves, I sure hope other people have sinned more than I have, and I might need to point it out. We all point it out with one another. The critical part is forgiveness as well. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. If you'll turn to one another and say, peace be with you. If you'll join me in the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you and blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father now and forever. Amen. The simplest of elements used that night with people just outside the door seeking their very lives. Jesus said, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. He lifted the cup to men who were accustomed to hearing the word covenant. He said, this is my new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. I'd like to call those who are helping forward uh, to come uh, prepare to serve. If you would get hand sanitizer. forward for Holy Communion are welcome to do so. You're not um, by no means forced to do so, but you're welcome to come. You'll see a practice of people leaving money on the altar. It goes to the Good Samaritan Fund, which helps people in our community. Uh, as you are guided by ushers, you'll come to these points, and you'll be guided to come and kneel. And if you need to stand, you're certainly welcome to do that. And we have um, gluten-free uh, elements on the corner of each railing. If you would like gluten-free uh, bread, you may certainly have it. We'll ask the choir to come first. I did it.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this table. Remind us of this table throughout our week. In each table that we share with anyone that should choose to gather there, remind us, Lord, of the power of food, the power of sacrifice, the power of reaching out to another individual. Extend this table far beyond this space, Lord, that others may know your name. Amen. If you'll stand as you're able for our final hymn, number 581. introduce y'all to Reverend Tim Rogers. He and his wife, Mary Lynn, and daughter, Emily. What's Emily's last name now? Evans. Evans. And Rachel uh, are here. Tim used to be our director of uh, uh, clergy services and the director of the annual conferences for, for our annual conferences. It's an incredibly busy, significant job. He's now a district superintendent in Marion out on the coast, uh, like George and Dennis have done being superintendents. On his way to annual conference uh, at the TD Center today, he came and worshiped with us. And he's, I'm talking about, um, after today, you may not want to take total credit, um, but he has a lot to do with mentoring me along the way um, and, and becoming, uh, uh, having the potential for leader uh, that I am today. So Tim, um, Marilyn, uh, Emily, grateful y'all are here today and, and glad y'all came. Thank you. Um, go in peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the power, and the presence of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Walk with you. Sweet, the holy things have taken.